you've probably read books or taken classes or work with trainers, something that you're trying to do to get fit. What if the entire fitness industry is basically wrong? That's what we're going to be talking about on today's episode of The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, usually starting feet first because you know those things are your foundation. We're going to break down the propaganda, the mythology, uh, often the outright lies you've been told about what it takes to run or walk or hike or play or do yoga or cross, whatever it is you like to do, and to do that enjoyably, effectively, efficiently. Did I mention enjoyably? I know I did. It's a trick question. Because uh, look, if you're not having fun, do something different until you are. You're not going to keep doing it if you're not having a good... You won't keep doing it if you're not having a good time. There we go. That was English. Uh, I'm Stephen Sashin from ZeroShoes.com, your host of the Movement Movement Podcast. And we call it that because we are creating a movement and that we includes you. It's easy. It's free. I'll tell you more in a second. Uh, about natural movement. We're helping people rediscover that natural movement, letting your body do what it was designed to do is the better, obvious, healthy choice. The way people currently think of natural food. And the way that you can participate in that movement is just spread the word, share, like, review, et cetera. Go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com to find previous episodes, all the ways you can interact with the podcast. Again, you know, there's nothing to pay. There's no fees. It's just, you know, spread the word about natural movement. What else can I say about that? Uh, you know, and again, like, share, review, all those things you know how to do. Uh, in short, if you want to be part of the tribe, just subscribe. So, Chip, welcome. Hey, thank you. This is the first time I've seen a human being this close in quite a while. It's all very exciting. Tell people who the hell you are and what you're doing here. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, I'm <laughs> Chip Conrad. I have a concept, training concept that I use called Body Tribe Fitness. I created it many, many years ago. I had a gym for 18 years. Pandemic said, you know, maybe you want to do other things. And so I did other things. Uh, I teach workshops on movement and strength all around the country. I'm a competitive strength athlete. And I just, I kind of want to tweak the system. So given that we started the conversation or at least started the whole thing by saying the fitness industry is wrong, AKA mm -hmm. upside down or whatever, however else we want to frame that. And given that what you just said, sounds like you're part of said fitness mm -hmm. industry, would you like to clarify for the people who are wondering what the yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. I've always been a bit of an outlier and on the fringes of the what we call jokingly call the fitness industrial complex. And the goal it was always to try to offer something that's actually different. And so although we still had a product that was fitness related, we defined it differently, we defined strength differently, and we pursued it differently. And it involved you mentioned enjoyment yeah, you know, you even said it twice. And well, and in fact, one of the reasons we're having this conversation is when I got introduced to you, I saw that that was something you really focused mm -hmm. on, and that's why we're here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. the, so say more about the enjoyment part, but also get a little more specific, if you would, about the what's different part aside from that, if there is anything other than that. I believe the, the industrial complex, as I call it, doesn't necessarily pursue joy. In fact, it's wait, are you suggesting that people have adopted no pain, no gain as a mantra because, uh, because some company that I won't mention spent billions of dollars suggesting that's the only way that you can get fit and healthy? Yeah, go figure. <laughs> um, and, and if you, I mean, if you look at the hyperbole for a lot of current gym dogma, it's all about hardcore extreme, right? And 85%, uh, roughly 85% of, of, our, of our culture doesn't participate mm. in purposeful movement you know, gym memberships or whatever, that means there's 15%. It's been that way for decades. Yeah. And so we're doing something wrong, the, the industry. And, you know, I want to separate myself from that now, and I'm trying to deliver a different product. And 
and so if our welcome wagon isn't very welcoming. authentic, yeah, yeah, very welcoming, if it's not offering an authentic uh, on-ramp, then why would that 85% want to join? At this point, it's kind of the 15% selling to itself over and over right. again. Oh, you're in the you're in the 15%. Cool. Well, let's get you new gear. Let's get you not just a gym membership, but also that yoga club membership. Let's see right. how many categories and products and, and ways to to, uh, to make a product out of movement that we can possibly give you. So say more then about how you're injecting this whole enjoyment piece into the puzzle. And again, the things that you're, if there's anything else on the more technical side that you're doing this different, since you were talking about being contrarian, how you want to delineate that as well? Well, one of the things I, I do see a lot is the industry really makes a, a big point of packaging movement. And as soon as you start packaging movement and you give it labels, you're actually offering limitations. Like, give me an example. Oh, any yoga, CrossFit, powerlifting. Anytime you hear a category or a label, okay. you're actually buying into its limitations, not investing in its, in its uh, possibilities necessarily, because every one of those has limitations. If you're doing yoga, you're missing out on a whole bunch of other things in life. If you're doing CrossFit, you're missing out on a whole bunch of things. And so what I want to do is focus on skills. Mm. What are the skills we could learn that would give us a, at least a foundation to then go try anything? And so exploration is really big on my list because that's where enjoyment is. If we explore, right. we can find some fun out there. That's an interesting thing. I, one of the things that I've noticed is that people are looking for simple answers. And when I say people, I just mean humans. We're wired for this. Mm -hmm. We're wired to think here's a goal that I want to achieve. There's got to be a step-by-step -step path of getting there. And if you can present a, at least the idea that there is a step-by-step -step path, mm -hmm. a fixed rigid thing with right. those boundaries that you were talking about, we get that. I think you hit upon the key word though, and that's goals. Mm. A lot of people, well, generally humans want the simple answer, as you mentioned. Right. The thing is they don't know what the goals are. You can't really pursue a goal if you don't have much experience in that particular thing. And so we're sold the goals first. So, well, I mean, the, for most people, of course, they're thinking um, they either want to look better, lose weight, or do something that they think is going to make them healthier in some imagined future. Right. Without defining what healthier necessarily is. They're sold the idea of what healthy is. I mean, True. they're actually given the marketing for it. And so they buy into that. They invest into what they believe healthier is. Wait, are you suggesting oh, that the boy. entire world of testosterone replacement therapy or hormone replacement therapy may just be um, catering to an ill-defined goal about what that will give you? I'm just throwing that out. Ill-defined? So. Gosh, how <laughs> dare you say that? I'd say the vast majority of what happens in the fitness industry is ill-defined. Well, and, th and that one, just, I don't know why that one just popped into my mind, but I mean, you know, there's so many, it's its funny. I, I, was, uh, I read something recently from someone who's a big deal paleo guy mm. who, when I first met this guy 10, 11 years ago, my first thought, and he's a good 10, 15 years older than I am. Now, I don't know, somewhere around 10 years older than I am. My first thought was, what's he juicing with? <laughs> and, um, and not too long ago, put out a blog post about how uh, taking, uh, taking supplemental testosterone is actually paleo. <laughs> Yeah, that was oh, kind of my reaction. Um, but again, you know, it's like people have this idea. I mean, it's just one of those contexts where people think it's definitely going to make me healthier and it's not very defined what the healthy part is. Mm -hmm, right. And of course, some of the long-term consequences, uh, depending on what you're taking, are completely not, we don't have that data because people haven't been doing it that long. Mm -hmm. So that's a really interesting one for ill-defined goals. Other than um, 
sexual performance. That's like the only goal that is, and no, actually for that sexual performance, uh, losing fat, gaining muscle. Those are basically the three things that are, that people say, you know, that's the pitch for doing yeah. testosterone replacement therapy. And of course, people then say, well, that must be healthier. Well, and, and two of those at least are the pitch for fitness in general. Uh, sexual performance. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, all three of those. Are, <laughs> well, cause ultimately most of what is sold to us as the goal of fitness yeah. is what the mirror and the scale tells you. Right. And then they have to package it. So you don't feel we're in an age now back in the eighties, that was all you needed. But now we're in an age where we feel guilty if we want that vanity. And so we have to repackage the vanity by saying, oh, it's also healthier or oh, it's funny. empowering or, you know, whatever catchphrase you happen to, to pick. And so we can thank ourselves, pat ourselves on the back by going, well, I'm getting healthy by being in the gym when in reality, it's just the scale and the mirror that we're trying to change. So let's dive into some specifics. We talked about the way, one way of bringing enjoyment into the mix is, is related to bring skills in mm. rather than packaged plans. Mm. So talk to me about somebody comes in to work with you in whatever context they're doing that, whether it's online, in person, net or whatever. So let's talk about what skills means from your perspective and how we start to bring that into play. I have a basic collection of foundation skills that I think we should all be pursuing to some degree. It's funny that we actually have a direct correlation in our ideas because you always talk about start from the feet up. Yeah, I think start from the ground up. And so no matter what level somebody is in terms of athletic performance or, or skills, when they come to me, we start the same and that's on the ground because as humans, we're scared to get on the ground. As, as westernized adult humans, we're scared to get on the ground. I spend a lot of time sitting on the ground. Mm -hmm. Like even though we have a couch in our room where we have our television, I often find myself sitting on the floor doing various things. And almost every time I do it, I think I never saw adults doing this when I was growing up. Exactly. And it's still pretty rare. Well, and especially in westernized cultures, because if you yeah. start traveling, oh yeah, all the time. People are on the ground all the time. Yeah. Because it's a great way to to it's just grounded. To use the word grounded literally, it grounds you. Uh, and it can be very comfortable, but it's also a great way to embrace uh, one form of movement. Mm. Let's start moving on the ground. And if you know people who do sports that are related to the ground, wrestling, jujitsu, uh, parkour, things like that, they just move better. Yeah. And well, they have they have a bigger repertoire of movements to draw from. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think of it, I was a gymnast and every gymnast that I know mm -hmm. finds himself thinking at some point, I got to get upside down. And I've never heard a non-gymnast yeah. utter anything like that. Oh, yeah, exactly. And you'll see that uh, some other things upside down, I think is important. Yeah. Hanging and swinging from things I think is important. And these are things that adults don't do. In fact, when I walk into a gym, I automatically look up to see if there's <laughs> anything to climb on and get on. And most gyms, there's not. You, you walk into your average gym. Um, maybe there's some pull-up bars right. beyond that. Unless you go to a specialized climbing gym or a parkour gym, there's nothing to get up on. And I think that's part of our skill. So we, we start on the ground and we work on getting up from the ground and onto things. Then, of course, I also do think that there's some skills in being able to move objects. Mm. And so the, the three I always say, and these are just skill categories. There's a lot of subcategories, but one is pick something up, put it over your head, carry it. And so, you know, the first three foundations are um, roll, crawl, and get up. Interesting. And then those are the basic six foundations. And what's interesting is when you work with athletes, even super, in fact, when you work with high-level athletes, they're going to be very specialized at maybe one or two of those categories. Take Olympic weightlifting, right? Pick something up from the ground, put it over your head. Take no strongman, pick something up, put it over your head and carry it. 
take yeah. powerlifting, maybe pick something up from the ground. Yeah. You know, so you're going to take these elite athletes and they have a few of the categories really, you know, if you see a pie chart, that, those pie chart slices are huge right. and the others gone if they're there at all. And so I want to take everybody, no matter who comes to me, we go back to the ground or we go back to the basics. We make sure that we have some modicum of ability on all of those because that gives us more possibility. And for me, possibility is, is where joy is found. Mm. If you're too specialized, you're actually losing out. It could be for running. It could be for, you know, CrossFit. It could be for yoga. Right. If you're specializing in that, you're, again, you've bought the limitations. You've invested in its limitations, not its possibilities. So my programming, I do actually program stuff, but it all comes from the idea of these skills. Let's all bring these skills up. Then if we, if we have a, a base level of these skills and we want to go try some stuff and specialize in some stuff, we have at least some idea of our body to go do that. So somebody comes again, comes to work with you. We know that we're going to start on the ground working on um, wait, rolling, getting up. What was the one that I missed? Crawling, crawling, rolling, crawling, getting up. So again, I, I'd love you to give people an idea of how they could explore this, whether they're, we'll talk about how they might interact with you later, but if they're going to do this, talk about again, the fun and enjoyment part. I mean, I, look, mm-hmm. I get it because rolling around and crawling and all those things are terribly fun, at least for me, but for someone to not turn it into a rigid program of crawling, rolling, getting mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. Again, let's, you know, give them a flavor, something they can do to feel that enjoyment to get started with the fun component. There's a thing that adults instantly do, and that's fear everything. Mm-hmm. And they fear being a beginner. And right. so one of the greatest things I want people to be experts in is being a beginner. <laughs> if we can all become experts at being a beginner, the world opens up to us. And so when I get people moving... The other thing I'm, I'm going to be all over the place because I, I tend okay. to go on my diatribes here. The other thing that the industry does that I think is very wrong is it introduces people to movement by teaching them exercise. The very first thing it does is teach exercise. Now, all exercise is movement, but not all movement is exercise. Yeah. So I think a trainer's job is to teach movement first because we're supposed to ultimately make the movers. So I just get people moving on the ground. I have a system that I, I, I use that I'm not telling the person because I don't want them to think it's a system. It's a process. Yeah. And so we just start doing a few things. For instance, we just start in a basic cradle roll, okay. grab our knees and just start rolling on the ground. That leads to the next thing, which is rolling into another position and then rolling into a position where you can actually come up. Now, if they can't do any of those, I know ahead of time, I don't have to say, stop, you can't do it. I can progress them through that without it being exercise, without it being a judgment oh my gosh, assessment testing is a thing that I think is a a detriment to getting people interested in in movement because being tested without being taught anything, what class has ever done that? You go to a math class, you take all the information, then you're tested. You go to calculus, you you go to biology, whatever class you took in school, they gave you the information, then they tested you. You go to a trainer now, they start testing you right out of the bat. We can assess without having to test. I mean, if we're movement experts, get them to move and then we can learn about them. At the same time, we're teaching them how to move. And mm-hmm. it's kind of playful. If you're on the ground rolling around, you're probably going to giggle a little. It's just kind of goofy. And that's the thing. There's goofy elements in it. And we just are having fun. Part of the reason adults initially fear it is because they don't want to look silly. Oh, dude. When I'm teaching people how to run naturally, or especially if I'm going to teach them how to run barefoot, mm-hmm. one of the things I do is we go out to a park 
take off your shoes. And I go, just pretend you're like a two-year-old. So your head is way too big for your body. (laughs) And the way two-year-olds move is they kind of lean forward Mm -hmm. or lean in some direction, head first, and then try to catch up to their giant heads, which they can't do. And then they, you know, move their head in some other direction. Like their arms are kind of flailing. And I go, so let's just do that. And we're going to do it until you stop. I don't say it this way, but we do it until people stop caring if anyone else is watching and um, stop caring if it's right or not Mm -hmm. until it just becomes goofy and fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, you know, look, if anyone's watching, guaranteed they won't recognize you. And so you'll never see them again. So who gives a crap? Mm -hmm. And if they do, they're going to think, God, it looks like you are having a lot of fun. Do you remember the Phoebe run from Friends? No. Oh my gosh. So wait, hold on. I was singing Smelly Cat. Oh my gosh. Smelly Cat. I swear to God, I was singing Smelly Cat this morning. So I love that you brought that up. So no, what'd she do? The Phoebe run, she was out running with uh you know one of the other friends i don't remember and she just had this ridiculous run she it just looked ridiculous and and her friend i don't remember which one it was you know monica or whatever wouldn't run with her for a while (laughs) but then phoebe explained i'm just having a good time who's to say what's right or wrong that's great and then of course monica tries it and has a fun doing it and then they run into each other in the middle of the park going crazy and then they they love it and i think that's great we should normalize what is kind of considered a little ridiculous because if we think about what's actually done in the gym, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. I had this argument with some guys who were all about, um, it wasn't functional movement, but it was basically, you know, what did our ancestors do? Mm-hmm. And I said, let's just call it spade a spade. We can't fake it. We can't imitate that. It's not the same when you're climbing a tree to get food from that tree or escape something, or it's not the same when you're carrying rocks from the river up to where you're building a house or where you're. So, you know, the movements that we're doing, the exercise that we're doing um, are even, you know, one giant step removed from that. But even the ones that people do when it's about doing things naturally are a little artificial. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at the actual gym culture of what's supposed to be normal, you're picking something up and then putting it back down again over and over. Or maybe you're sitting on this machine where you don't have to do much of anything except push a lever. It's a heavy lever, but you got to push a heavy lever. How is that not ridiculous? It's a good point. Uh, and you were talking about, you know, we are removed from the primal thing. In fact, the word primal is always a little weird because, yeah, we've got this basic DNA that we're all still holding on to, but we have evolved in terms of creating a whole different world. Right. And to think that the primal self is going to adapt to that whole different world. No, it's, it's a modern, we should give ourselves credit. In other words, yeah, we've gone beyond the primal. And so, I mean, if you look at sports today and a lot of what's happening, that wouldn't have happened hundreds or thousands of years ago. You know, the strongman community is doing amazing things. The running community is doing things that have probably never been done. This is this is actually the whole the whole premise behind. Um, so Dr. Daniel Lieberman from Harvard, his latest book is called Exercised. And I wish I exercised with a D at the end. I wish I could remember the subtitle, but it's something like, you know, why it is that we do these things that we didn't evolve to do. <laughs> and the book has very contrarian principles in it, including uh, that what we're doing right now, sitting, everyone's sitting is the new smoking and it's horrible. It's like, nah, not really. You know, um, our ancestors just spent a lot of time sitting. They mm-hmm. just also moved around a lot. They weren't just sitting right. in a fixed position. Right. Um, so yeah, things have evolved quite a bit. Yeah. And we should probably give ourselves a little pat on the back for some of that. We are evolving creatures. And yeah. It's awesome. Yes. We got some stuff that we can probably hold on to. We should 
play on the ground and we should crawl. And well, so stuff. let's talk about playing on the ground a little mm-hmm. more because I'm a you, fan. It, you just made, I know you just made me think of watching primates, watching baby chimps is oh what gosh. was actually the image in my head. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot of rolling around and not just rolling around, being pushed around when you're on the ground. And I mean, there, it's an interactive thing as well, not just, you know, you doing your own whatever you're doing, but there, but the ground is critical. Right. And that's how it all starts that level of play. Yeah. And I, I just love that image in my mind of baby chimps. You can't not love baby. I, chimps. Know. I, I don't have much on my bucket list playing with the baby chimp. Oh my God. It's on my bucket list. Yeah, all right. I'm going to put it on mine now. <laughs> um, and my, you know, my name's only one letter away from chimp. Yeah, that's so. a good point. We know we're just looking off in the distance, pondering huh. chimp, 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 chirp, chirp. <laughs> I can't think of any others. No, that's about it. Um, <laughs> when we play on the ground and we move on the ground, we have less fear of the ground. Right. And we have less fear of the ground. We're more capable to explore other things. I mean, one of the reasons do you ever post something on the internet and then being somebody who moves a lot and explores a lot, you post something on the internet, somebody inevitably is going to say, oh, my back hurts just looking at that. Uh-huh. That, that you know, somebody always has to throw that comment in. Great. Right. I'm super proud that you're disabled <laughs> that way. Okay. I'm super proud for your dysfunction that you don't. No, you know what it is? I think it's different. I mean, I, I want to hear where you're going. And one of the things that human beings do that I find really weird is we bond over limitations and problems. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense because when the world was a very unsafe place. That's a smart thing to do to share the what's a problem. Sure. But now the world is pretty safe and yet we still do this. Yeah. We bond over limitations and problems. Yeah, exactly. And I find that really confusing. <laughs> right, I mean, I don't find it right. confusing. I find it really un to, to the to the point where we compete as to who yeah, yeah, has yeah. the biggest limitation. Yeah. I mean, it becomes a game of uh, status. Right. And that's that's weird. But if we aren't scared of the ground, if we aren't scared of tumbling and rolling and actually falling, mm-hmm. we learn to fall properly. We have a whole new world of possibility above the ground open to us. And I think that's the biggest thing I notice with people when I work with them for the first time, even if they have a huge gym background, yeah, they don't know how to fall or how to be part of the ground. And it's a whole new experience and it's either scary or it's enjoyable. And I try to make it a little bit of both because I think that's a good place to be. <laughs> that edge of pushing just a little bit to kind of test the limits. I mean, this is part we, where we're thinking of, we think about enjoyment as part of the mix, like mm-hmm. having a bigger repertoire. And then once you have that, then kind of seeing what's next. Right. So we're going to start getting off the ground. What are we doing then? Then you start seeing the world as your playground. Because I like to think of it this way. When we were children, at least when we were children, I'm guessing, but I don't know what kids are doing these days. I don't know how old you are. I'm 51. 59. Okay. So when we were kids, we had far fewer boundaries. A, f- a friend of mine says that our, our uh, boundaries are much greater. Totally. In, in other words, now, I don't know if you can go down the street without your mom saying, hey, you can't go down the street that far. Yeah. You know, the end of the block. In my, I, I grew up in Hawaii, and I found out it was this way in other parts of the U.S. where you just went. And you came back later in the day and then you just, explored. well, you know, you had that ocean to keep you like on the Island. Yeah, no, we, <laughs> we honestly went up the mountains in the morning, down to the beach in the <laughs> afternoon and we could explore. We right. had those boundaries and I want us as adults to see the world that way now, because if we look out, I mean, I'm looking at the picture behind you and I'm thinking, look at all the places to play in that picture. Wait for people who are watching. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I was hiking at the 
Pueblo Reservoir where I camped last night. And it looked a little bit, there's parts of it that look a little bit like that. And I just want us to look at that and go, where can I go? Mm. And that's a concept we use in my gym a lot. We call it, where can we go from here? Okay, you can do that. Where can you go from here? And the you see a lot, especially, oh God, when gyms closed, did you see how people freaked out when the pandemic hit and all the gyms closed and all the gym people thought, what am I to do? Right. And my gym folks were like, oh, well, we know what to do. We've been training for what to do. Get the hell out of the gym. Funny. That's what the gym's for. We don't live for the gym. We use the gym to go live. I have to tell you, I have a um, moderately extensive home gym that I put together. Mm -hmm. But the joke is I don't do workouts. The gym is I have to walk by it basically four or five times a day. And every time I walk by, I just do something, whatever it is that catches my attention. Uh, yeah. Okay. And so even though some of the movements are relatively prescribed, I mean, some of them very much so because I'm doing them explicitly for becoming a better sprinter, for example. Right. Um, but nonetheless, I don't, if, if it becomes like work, I just don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. If we can get people to understand that the gym and the workouts are simply to make us better movers to then go have a life outside the gym. Right. The gym is not our movement practice. The workout is not our movement practice. It's just training to go have a movement practice. And, and any other skill is like that. You, you apprentice at a skill so you can go actually do the skill. Why don't we treat the gym like that? But for so many people, and you saw this when the pandemic hit, everybody freaked out because the gym is their movement practice. Right. And to, for the gyms to close everybody, that's how invested they are in the fitness industrial complex. How much of that do, though, do you think is also just the social component of going to the gym? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes for as much as I think they've done wrong, mm. CrossFit has done right in one thing, and that's created community. A, a community. Yeah. And they taught other gyms how to do that. Because up until that point, a community would grow in a gym by luck. Right. You, you went there to the same other, guy. Exactly. You yeah. see the same people. I mean, I remember working in gyms back in the 90s, and you see the same people all the time. You wave and say hi. And that was it. Right. You felt comfortable because you saw the same people, but it really wasn't a, a, a community. And so that, and that still exists in a lot of gyms. There's not really communities um, except for that new model that CrossFit introduced about, you know, 20 some years ago. And because of that, now people are missing the community aspect. So why can't they do that outside the gym though? Why aren't they taking those movers in the gym and going with them somewhere else? Like I know of great hiking communities, great right. parkour communities, great running communities, even great lifting communities. I have a lot of friends in California that when I left there, they were building these lifting communities and they got together and they had their strongman weekends together. Right. And they're still doing that now. In fact, I'm going back to go hang out with them a little bit. So backing up then. So we're off the ground. We're into whatever above the ground is. What are some of the things, the skills that people are playing with there? The first one, there's a, there's a category I call rise mm. and rise has multiple subcategories. One is get up off the ground. Right. Two is get up out of a seat, which is a squat. <laughs> yeah. And I think squatting is an important skill. We focus on it maybe too much sometimes and become squatters. Mm. And when the, when the skill becomes the goal, then you're starting to miss out. Like I call it the 800 pound squats. And when you, I've taught a lot of powerlifters, I've done a lot of powerlifting. I've worked with a lot of 800 pound squatters. They get to the point where the squat is all they want to do. They're, they're working so hard on making their squat better. Right. The squat is no longer making them better. And because the squat can make us better, yeah. but there's a point where we become a little obsessed with it and all the other stuff disappears. 
So the squat's no longer making them better. But as a general skill, we should all be able to squat. So we should be able to get up out of a seated position. And then we should be able to get up onto things. Mm. And that's the that's the fun one for me. So getting up. Oh, I'm not say, just a rock climber, but I'm a climber. Trees, rocks. I was going to say, whatever. if we're getting up onto things, we're either climbing or jumping. There's ju- so yeah, there's jumping, there's landing, there's holding on and grabbing, there's yeah. swinging. Um, I mean, if you think of your average American Ninja Warrior course, that's a fun version of getting up on things. I hate them. You know why? Mm. I'll tell you why. You don't don't know. Know. Of course, you don't know why. <laughs> um, they had, and by the way, we have a bunch of Ninja Warriors who love our shoes and we're supporting them. Um, so it's not that I really hate them. It's just that what I really mean by when I say I hate them is I hate the fact that I can't be a Ninja Warrior. And the reason I can't be a Ninja Warrior is that those courses really give precedence for grip and upper body strength yeah. and, and endurance. And I don't have that. Mm. Any of the lower body stuff, any of the sort of gymnastics-y things, of course, I'm all in. But if I've got to be holding on to something for a minute, I'm, I'm in the water. <laughs> and and, I, and I'm, I'm so I'm jealous is what it really is. That's why I hate it. So bringing that up, that would be a reason I have people work on actually hanging and swinging for right. stuff. I mean, I want people to be able to hang from things for 30 seconds to a minute and be able to move from that thing to something else. I don't think a pull-up in itself is that important. A pull-up is just simply getting up to then be able to do something else. Right. A pull-up is like kindergarten for getting up on things. And so working on your pull-up is great. But when I see a workout that's like 50, 60, 80 pull-ups, at that point, I'm like, why? Right. Once you do one pull-up, maybe you do a couple more, but what's next? Why are you doing all those pull-ups? You know, that's not a skill in itself necessarily. It's great to build lats. Okay, great. <laughs> it's great to build your grip, but a pull-up is simply the kindergarten skill to then be able to get up on something further. All right. So again, we want to give people things to do if they're, so now they're up. And so let's say a little more about climbing and jumping and oh, grabbing on. Hang from a tree, just <laughs> grab a branch and hang. And then if you can put your feet on that tree and climb up into it, do it. But if you see, I mean, if a tree is something that you can climb, then you have this giant world of possible things to go play on. <laughs> it is there. your obligation. Oh yeah. Exactly. So backing up though, mm. this is one of those things that I know, um, look, even for someone like me, whatever that means, the idea of, I, I mean, I spent a lot of time climbing trees, but I haven't climbed a tree in a while. Mm. And there's some trees not to, uh, wait, I'm not trying to think of when the last time was. I'm not sure. There's a couple out in your parking lot that are actually climbable. Just letting you know. That's a good point. <laughs> um, well, you know, and it's not that I'm actually afraid of climbing the tree, but I can definitely feel the the self-conscious component kicking in. Um, in a way we call that, it adulticide. Adulticide. Oh, yeah. I like it. And I find it ridiculous because the number of things that I do where I'm not self-conscious, like go into stores and bare feet. Right. Um, but it's just for whatever reason, I just realized tree climbing was kind of not on my radar for now. Mm. And I'm going to have to do something about that. Yeah. Cause you're in Colorado. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I also just like the fact that I noticed the, just the idea of doing it, what it brought up, the resistance that it brought up. It's like, mm-hmm. well, that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Why do I have that? And am I willing to go do something fun and explore that, get over that, not care about that, whatever that is. And, and there's that being a beginner again. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we fear something just because we don't want to be a beginner at it. I get a lot of people who I train who come to me from a time off. Yeah. They, you know, they were gymmers. They did the gym thing, the fitness industrial complex investments for so long. Then they took, I don't know, a month, a year, or several years off for whatever reason. And then they come to me 
And they explicitly tell me, I hate the fact that I have to be a beginner at this again. And so I got to turn it around and go, why? That means there's so many things to do from being a beginner. When you're an expert, there's no place to go. What's their, beginner, what's, what's their answer for why? Usually it has to do with um, what I've noticed. Their answer and how I've boiled it down are, are the same, but they sound different. Ultimately, it seems to be that people, that our culture suppresses being a beginner and celebrates being good at stuff. Mm -hmm. And so if we're not the best, mm -hmm. we're frowned upon. Whereas, and, and so one of the things I want to teach people it's not about being the best because there's only one of those. Yeah. It's about being your best. And when working with high-level athletes, getting them to understand that is tough. Dude, I'm having a hard time with it because at 59, as a sprinter, if you look at the if you look at the all-American time, so the time you have to run 100 meters or 60 meters to become an all-American, they get slower and slower mm -hmm. and slower uh, as you get older. And I I'm having a tough time adjusting for that. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I'm literally, because I'm at the phase now where the odds are I'm not going to get much, if any, faster than I am right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've got to slow down how much I slow down. Mm -hmm. And the adjusting to ch that changing goal, it's not that it's, it's not, you know, difficult, difficult, but it's something that I'm very aware of. Mm -hmm. I was at a, when I turned 50, I was at uh, the first senior games. And a bunch of 60-year-olds came up to me and said, uh, you know, once you turn 60, it gets really bad. Then a bunch of 80-year-olds who were listening said, you have no idea what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I just turned 50, and I've been hearing that since I turned 30. You know, and, well, and every time they tell you that decade is going to be the one where it starts falling apart. You know, 60, it, it depends. I mean, it, it, there's definitely individual difference, but mm -hmm. statistically, you know, you, you see it happening. But to your point... The finding that actually here's my favorite part about finding the goal, finding your best. Um, Jack Lalane, when he was 90 something, mm -hmm. they were he was on television and they showed him he's still working out. So he's on a universal gym because he helped invent it and he's bench pressing and he is like working hard, 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 and clearly enjoying how hard he's working. And then I looked in the back, you could see he was lifting 20 pounds, mm -hmm. but that was the best he could do at 90. And at 90, not bad. Right. right. So that, but that's a really interesting adjustment to make to see what's possible for you. And I'm not saying reality is going to get in the way of that, but it occurs to me that like, if I'm starting something new, I definitely um, want to be good. Mm -hmm. I definitely want to impress who I'm learning from. Right, right. And I know that that's all ridiculous. <laughs> and, and I often, if, when I am learning something new, I usually say that to someone, it's like, I want to impress you. And I know that's really stupid, but I have to say that out loud because otherwise it'll be this thing kind of looming over at least my head. And uh, when I say it, then it becomes silly and I don't care anymore. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. And, and so I call it, and then this is a term, it's not my term, but a lot of people refer to it as the child's mind. And one of the reasons I love that is because children don't judge movement. Right. Whereas somehow in the system that we have been brought up in, we judge movement as adults. And, you know, there's, there's where the fear comes in. We do it as kids. I mean, um, so again, we're in a similar age. Did you guys have the presidential physical fitness test? Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, you know, so that starts when you're what first grade, second grade. I think we finally got it in second or third grade. Yeah. And so th there the judgment kicks in right. and my, my favorite story about the judgment of that, we had one uh, girl in our class. She was the one who matured before everyone else. She was, you know, five foot five when everyone else was two feet tall. Mm -hmm. And um, th so there's a 600 yard run in the presidential physical yeah. fitness test. Yeah. She was always last by a long shot. Mm. 
But the reason that we we didn't judge her for being slow, we judged her for something totally different. Because she ran so slowly and her head was always down, she always found money. (laughs) (laughs) And so we judged her. Like we'd all finish and look at our times. We go, Joy, how much money did you find? (laughs) She comes in with eight bucks. Yeah, "Eh." it totally reframed the whole thing. It's like, we want to see how much money she got. So it's interesting that you mentioned that because that presidential test was created by adults. Yeah. Adults wanted to judge children. And, and I know the origins of that, um, you know, Bonnie Pruden and, and her mentors helped usher that in. And even she got fed up with it when the government took it over. Because once the government took it over, they turned it into something completely different. Interesting. And she went, oh, that's not actually what I was going for. Interesting. Um, and that's what happens when, it, when we adulticize something. It just gets in the way. Or when, our, when the brain decides it knows better than the body, how the body should move. And that's a big thing is we got to let the brain step out of the way. <laughs> the brain can go ahead and organize it. Right. That's where training comes in. The brain can do the, the programming, yeah, but, yeah. but in the execution and the why the brain needs to step out of the way. Granted, it is your, so I wish I could remember the comment. Oh, is I think Emo Phillips who said something like, you know, the brain is the most important organ in the body. But then I thought, who's telling me that? <laughs> um, which is brilliant yeah uh so right, one of the things can we do we're off the ground we're climbing trees mm-hmm. uh for so we're climbing on things or jumping on things what else what else are some things that people should start playing with i like to think of training as movement in general but especially training as looking at an obstacle and it's in your way what are you going to do with it you can mm-hmm. go over it you can go around it you can go through it you can move it you can go under it you can go under it exactly so that's kind of the fun way to look at it um Get up, get down, move it, groove it. Those are, those, that's how I phrase it quickly. <laughs> I like it. Get up, get down. It sounds like it should be on a song, but get up, get down, move it, groove it. How many ways can you move? Apply that to your situation. Like, again, I'm looking at that picture and I'm like, oh, there's rocks. I could pick those rocks up. I could tumble down that hill. I could just sit for a while and soak it all in. That's okay too. You know, sometimes non-movement is the best movement. Mm-hmm. And that's the big goal is when you learn a small handful of foundation movements, then you can see the world as a playground mm. and just hopefully explore and want to explore. That's the, that's a key is want getting people to understand that just a little bit of movement potential in your body will hopefully want, make you want to explore. Well, that's what I was literally just imagining. As you said, that is once you have this sort of I'm looking for kind of library of skills mm-hmm or menu of skills. Sure. And once you've started to apply some of them at all um, and gotten over that fear of being a beginner, that fear of being judged or not even gotten over it, if you just don't care or you're willing to <laughs> sure. you know, have people judge you and all the rest and whatever. Yeah. Um, it's like, you're crazy. It's like, yeah, I thought so too. Then I imagine there's a, an almost cumulative effect, a snowball effect where the more you do, the more you do. Right. Right. I, I think that's exactly how it works because you'll keep asking yourself, Oh, where can I go from here? Right. Oh, what's, what's up there. What's down there. Can I move that? Can I get through or around or over that? And there's that child's mind again, because that's what children do. They're very curious and curiosity is something that unfortunately our system tends to squeeze out of us or, or makes it so rigid and systematic. And that's a bummer. I, I have a, I have one that I just remember that I do that. Um, I never see adults doing that. I'm going to give us a suggestion, mm. uh, shopping carts. Oh yeah. They're awesome. All the time. I ride them all the exactly. time. Exactly. <laughs> I've got, I got a picture of me in Costco riding a car. Yeah. Yeah. I can't not ride the car. Yeah. I'm the same way. And, and I, at first, 
thought, yeah, people are going to look at me. I realized it never occurred to me in a million years. It's just, you know, here's a wheelie thing that once I get it in motion, it'll keep moving. Yeah. So I'm going to jump on. And you know how much faster you get to your car from the I store? I know. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, it's practical on top of it. I, no, I, I love running behind a cart um, and, and using it to be able to run faster or just jumping on and then hoping I don't hit somebody. Yeah, there's that. I mean, steering them is tough, but yeah. it's, it's worth the experiment. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. We're just going to say, everybody, go push your cart and ride it. Uh, we are not responsible for what happens when you ride your cart. <laughs> um, what, uh, any other, what, what other things off the ground now that we've gotten off the ground or off the floor, if you will? Anything else that's popping into your head? The word, and this is a big word, because even though it, it's almost implied in what we're talking about, I haven't actually mentioned it, outside. Mm. Just be outside. There's this experience that people have when they're outside where they're generally just going to feel better. And so, you know, when people work out at the end of the workout, they feel better. Yeah. Why, why aren't they feeling better during the workout? <laughs> Whereas when you're outside, you just feel better. Yeah. And so I recommend that we just go outside. Then we might start seeing what's possible. And I want to highlight, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree, that going outside doesn't have to be hiking no. or whatever, like literally exactly. just get outside. Open the door, step out of your house yep. or your building or wherever you are. Yeah. Step one. I've got, I took a couple of things from my gym and I stuck them outside. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I could have put them inside, but what the hell? I have a, a giant branch that serves as my barbell and I throw cinder blocks <laughs> on it. It's, 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 in my, it's on my YouTube channel. I show it a lot and that's my gym oh, because I love it's it. just outside. It's on this giant field in the middle of nowhere with some rocks around it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So that's it. I would suggest step one, get outside. Yeah. Step two, build some basic skills so you have the possibility. And then step three, put that together. So I have to ask this though. So we start on the ground, then we got off the ground. And we, yeah, we have climbing and jumping, but I can't help but thinking that being in the air is another mm. thing that people are unfamiliar with that opens up a whole range of possibilities. Is that something you play with? How do you mean? I don't know, actually. Mm. It's just, it was literally just going, if you're going to go up, you get you start on the floor, then you get up. And then what's up from there is the air. Yeah. And, yeah. and certainly look, as a gymnast, I can think of things that I do that other people don't do. Sure, sure. But, um, but that's what made me think of it. It's like, that's another place where people don't have any real familiarity with what to do. And if you're rolling or jumping, I mean, there's obviously an air component. Right. And if you know how to fall and land, yeah. maybe that takes a little bit of fear out of getting up higher. Yeah. But one of the things I always want to do is um, kite surfing. <laughs> it's one of the things that I explicitly don't want to do because <laughs> I'm, because I know myself and I would be one of those guys who like, you know, starts in Maui and ends up in Kauai. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Day one. How far can I go? Right. Exactly. Right. I'm just getting, Oh, look, my kite's up. I can jump that wave. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I'm stupid enough to do it. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen all the injuries oh, yeah. I have, but you that's for me just trying stuff. Well, those all look like, you know, the kind of the things that I'm seeing, um, it looks like the kind of stuff you get when you're climbing on something or uh, carrying a something or that's exactly yeah. what these are. Yeah, and then yeah. I got more in my shin. And that's, you know, so imagine that picture behind you, me somehow falling down that cliff. Got it. There is a, I, one of the things I learned many years ago is I thought maybe fitness would make me less clumsy. No, it just makes me more graceful when I land. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's and all I, you need. Yeah. That, that's a, I think actually that's something that it, that really is um, highly overrated and misunderstood or underrated misunderstood. People don't get the value of learning how to roll. Oh, rolling I mean, and tumbling start, and falling. Like starting from being upright yeah. and then again, mm -hmm. falling and rolling. Um, it was one of my favorite things after doing a lot of 
um, like Aikido and of course as a gymnast, what happens, same thing. When I fall, I don't just plop down. Yeah. I roll out, roll out and it's just reflexive. Yeah. And that's so, so important. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I don't, I'm not, a, not worried about falling. Exactly. There's that fear. It's gone. Yeah. And so, yeah, go ahead and try some stuff. I mean, sure. Yeah. I wear a helmet when I'm on my bike. I'm not a moron. <laughs> exactly. But I think that, if, there's, there's external forces at play yeah. there that you have no control. Yeah. Of. But if I'm going to go over the bars, I don't really worry about it too much. Right. right. And I try not to go over the bars. I don't, I actually have never done that in part because I've spent 30 years riding a recumbent. So going over the bars means I just land on my feet. Wow. Yeah. That'd be tough. <laughs> it would be to roll out to, yeah, that would be, uh, <laughs> how do be, you go over the bars? Yeah, that'd be pretty impressive. <laughs> so anything that we missed um, or anything just to kind of highlight something for people to either be aware of ponder do in terms of just bringing, I mean, I just love this whole thing of bringing fun and being even, I'm going to say it slightly differently, being attentive to when we're limiting ourselves from having fun mm. with some thought, some mm. fear, some concern, mm. and then bring that into developing these skills that then turn into whatever movement you're going to do. Well, the, the big thing I really try to get people to do is, is often ask the question, why? Mm. And you know, what is the purpose of this? And so what you're talking about is, is great. Every time that fear comes into ourselves, whether fear looking ridiculous or fear being a beginner, ask yourself why. And like you said, when you start asking that and explaining it verbally, yeah. it goes away. Yeah. So maybe that's a great place to start. I like it. Dude, this has been a total pleasure. Oh, it's been great. Um, if people want to find out more about what you've been talking about and I've been interrupting about, how can they do that? My website is bodytribe.com. Well, do that one slow motion. Bodytribe.com. <laughs> Thank you. And my YouTube <laughs> channel, which, where I post something every week. Uh, I have a lot of stuff on there. And then there's a whole series called Body Tribe Anywhere, where I'm just traveling the country doing this stuff. That's Body Tribe one, I think is my YouTube channel. Got it. And those are the best places I got Instagram, but who cares about that? <laughs> I don't TikTok. Or yeah. I call TikTok uh, the platform for strippers who haven't found a pole. <laughs> lots of glitter, lots there's, of sparklies. There, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, well, once again, total so treat. I do hope people go and check out what you're up to because this, the idea of just bringing, again, if you're not having fun, do something different until you are. Yeah. And that's something I try to live by. Mm, play is important. It is. So everybody else, thanks so much for being part of this. If you, you know how to find Chip, if you want to find out more about what's happening with the movement movement, again, go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. Again, you'll find previous episodes, all the different ways to interact with us. If you have any requests, any feedback, if you think I have my head firmly up my butt, if I have a case of cranial rectal reorientation syndrome, uh, happy to hear that too. Well, you do I'm now. Open. I do. I definitely <laughs> do now. Um, if you have any recommendations for people who should be you know, part of this conversation, just send those to move, M-O-V-E, at jointhemovementmovement.com. Uh, again, share. That's how we create the movement part of the movement movement, the first movement. And um, most importantly, go out and have fun and live life feet first. <laughs>